0: Welcome to this week's edition of the Baseball America College Podcast. I'm Teddy Cahill. Joining me, as always, is Joe Healy, and he will be joined a little bit later by Florida Atlantic coach John McCormick. Uh, We are excited to have you back here on the podcast, which, as always, is presented by Rapsodo. Rapsodo has become the industry standard in player performance data. Coaches use Rapsodo data as a measuring stick for player development and evaluation. The Rapsodo National Player Database is a free service that allows you to see how you stack up against your peers and provides a pathway to get discovered by scouts. You can check out that database at rapsodo.com slash national database. Joe, we are uh, coming out of the Memorial Day weekend. I am coming back from vacation. Um, well, the the John McCormick interview you did what happened while I was away. Uh, but it is... It is Firmly September. Uh, there was some college football played this weekend in, in the weird college football season that we're getting to. The NFL starts this week. We're uh, we're kind of getting into uh, into fall here, and uh, you know I, it was it was nice to to get that break that I got, you know, to kind of celebrate the end of summer, I guess. But uh, now we're we're back at it, and we're uh, we're we're into the more traditional uh, school year in, in this very untraditional
1: uh, fall semester. Indeed we are. Uh, First, a a upfront apology to the listeners perhaps uh, because it is apparently infrastructure week in Joe's neighborhood here. Uh, So if you hear a little construction noise in the background, that's why yesterday was a a cacophony, they would say, there's an SAT word for you, but a cacophony of electric saws and jackhammering and things of that nature today. They're they're still out there, but it's been a little bit quieter. So hopefully that holds for, for the rest of this recording. But you are correct. We are into uh, what I call the spiritual beginning of fall, because I guess technically that's not in another, for another couple of weeks here. But I think we can all agree that once we get past Labor Day, we are in the, the, the spiritual beginning of fall, if not the actual beginning of fall. And I don't know about you, but my, my fiance and I have been talking a lot the last couple of weeks about how you can kind of, things are starting to turn outside. And I can't quite put my finger on, what about it is turning? You know, she's made the argument, well, the, the leaves are like, not quite turning colors yet, but it's like a different shade of green. And, and I've thought about maybe it's that it's getting darker just slightly earlier. And the, the, the light is just a little bit different out there. But between that, and the fact that we've had, you know, a couple of cooler days, we're still getting into the 80s here, but a little bit cooler than it had been before. And the fact that yes, we did have some some college football over the weekend, it was not particularly good college football weekend. I'm glad I did not really like clear my schedule to watch BYU Navy uh, last night because that was uh, domination by BYU, 55-3, and what I thought was going to be a pretty good game coming in. So uh, not great college football, but it was nice to have back. we got more coming this week. And to dovetail into our conversation today, it's also kind of the start of schools trying to pull off this fall baseball thing. It seems like you and I since – really since April have probably been talking about we're not sure what the fall is going to look like and what the fall is going to entail. And a lot of those questions are still unanswered, but we're starting to get some answers. And in my interview with John McCormick, he was, you know, extremely forthcoming. I was thankful for that about what they're doing and kind of the anxieties that go along with that and just trying to get through it. And every school is a little bit different. And, you know, I asked him about ABCA and, you know, if they're offering any guidance, and I just don't think there's a lot that can be done here because it's, it's so different from school to school, conference to conference. And um, so we, we've used the word unique a lot to describe the spring and the summer and, and now the fall, but that's exactly what it is.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely that. And it's interesting that, you know, we're talking to John McCormick this week, who is, you know, he's playing or coaching in a conference that is playing football this fall uh, in Conference USA. Um, you know, they're one of a half dozen conferences that are, are going ahead with with fall sports. And, uh, you know, I, I think that puts them maybe in a little bit different situation than some of the conferences that have canceled. But, you know, it's, uh, everyone's just kind of trying to feel it out right now, I think. Um, and, you know, you, you have a lot of different situations uh, across the country, just when your school starts, some of them started early, some of them have been in in class for, for multiple weeks now. Some of, um, you know, start a little bit later, you know, if you're on the quarter system, like a, a Stanford, you know, I, it, it starts a lot later. And, you know, so everyone's just kind of in their own space. And, you know, so it's, uh, it's something that we're still trying to get a handle on, but, you know, if you, you log on to, uh, to Twitter and, you know, you, you pull up a, a variety of, of, uh, different, accounts for, from baseball programs around the country. You can find plenty of them that are, are out there doing individual practices. I don't know that anyone's advanced into team practices yet, but um, although maybe UNC did this weekend, I, you know, it's uh, everyone's kind of in a different stage. Everyone, you know, every school has their own thing. Every conference has their own, their own steps and guidances and, and all the rest of that. But uh, there, it is good to see in the places where it's happening, some, some fall baseball. I, you know, a lot of these, um, you know, n- none of them have really been together except if they played summer ball together for, for six months. And you know, it's it's just good to to see you know the teams getting back together. And I know the players and the coaches are most excited just about the idea of getting back on the field together, uh, especially you know because you know they are every fall you know coming back, but but this this year especially because of uh, everything that, that's happened. Over the last six to seven months, obviously, uh, we we don't need to rehash the, the entirety of that there. But when when your season is yanked out from under you, uh, just a few weeks into it, and then you have to wait six months to to you know get back together as a team, I, I can only imagine um, you know the kind of feelings that that would go into that. Yeah, it's
1: it had, you mentioned the the Twitter aspect of this, and that's been interesting to me. And I think you're right. I think I did see that UNC scrimmaged this past weekend, so perhaps teams moving. little bit in that direction it's usually this time of year and maybe some of it is there's a little less activity on campuses and and so in in football I think football spurs some of this because um you know the the school athletic departments are just a lot more active on twitter whenever there's a lot of sports going on or a flagship sport like football is going on but it almost seems like there's just it's like it's a little bit of a secret that baseball is working out in some in in some places you you do see the twitter posts but even then it's a little more muted than it has been in the past it, to me anyway this is just my perception of it i'm not saying it's any sort of uh, effort they're making necessarily but it, but it does feel a little more muted to me before where more was made of practice getting underway or you know uh, you'd see these several posts from each scrimmage uh, or, or or even the individual part of practice and there's just feels like there's been a little less of that I mean less volume sure because you've got less teams practicing fewer teams practicing but I think just even within the ones that are practicing it's been a little bit pulled back from where it from where it usually is in terms of of amplifying that with the exception and I appreciate this of southeastern Louisiana who is also scrimmaging and they've been posting box scores and recaps from all of their from all of their scrimmages which is just on a level above and beyond what you kind of expect for relatively informal fall scrimmages that's been kind of kind of neat to see and they do the score graphics kind of like they do during the regular season so some schools are still very much turning it up to 11 we appreciate that but <laughs> but there are also you know for, for other schools it really does kind of feel like almost a hush-hush secret like let's go out there and let's practice and and we'll, we'll talk about this with, with coach Mack in the interview but uh, a little bit of, of the the impetus to just kind of get out there and let's just kind of get this done and get to work uh, because you know it, it's almost like maybe if they don't say anything about it maybe they'll be able to actually get through practice without you know something happening related to, to COVID or what have you and um, but it, it's just not not what I'm used to seeing this time of year which is a celebration of hey everybody's back in town let's get out there let's practice and let's get everybody excited about baseball.
0: I have just one more piece before we uh, move on to uh, to that interview. Joe, so did you see uh, the the news from Duke that uh, you know they had the the baseball team had turned over Jack Coombs Stadium uh, to a class, uh, you know, for to to have a, a class hold a class there. Um, one of the professors in there, I believe it was their school of public health, um, you know, reached out to uh to chris pollard and wanted to see if he could use the baseball stadium as the setting for for his class obviously a lot of classes trying to find outdoor spaces to work in and jackham stadium for those that haven't been there is has very much an amphitheater feel to it they've got a big jumbotron there uh, despite the fact that, or I should say video board, despite the fact that, you know, Duke plays most of its games at, at the the Durham Bulls Park downtown, they, they still have Coombs pretty well outfitted and has a new video board. And, um, you know, so they uh, they held their class there. I believe it was just a one-time thing, not that they're doing this every week or however often
1: the class meets, but they uh, they
0: turned it into a classroom
1: for the day. It is kind of neat. I, I don't know about you, but I would have I probably paid a lot more attention in college if my classes or maybe less attention they'd have taken place in the baseball field actually probably less attention because I would have just <laughs> kind of been looking around so maybe that's but yeah that's a cool deal I hadn't seen that but that is that is a cool deal and uh, they, they certainly do have a screen big enough out at Coombs that kind of surprised me because they play to your point they, they play a lot of games at at you know Durham Bulls Athletic Park and so you kind of assume that you know Coombs would be you know, a big step back from that. And in some ways it is, it's a very simple grandstand. They don't have, you know, suites or hospitality areas or anything like that. It is a very basic facility itself, but man, that video board is just about as good as any. Uh, they have. It's it also
0: there. new, I think.
1: But like, yeah, they put that yeah. in not that long ago. <laughs> so like, it was kind of a, kind of a weird deal. When I first went out to Coombs, I guess for a preseason scrimmage, I guess what was this past January or early February, and, you know, I, I rolled up and, and walked out there and kind of expected it to be a, just kind of basic all around, but then voila, here's this huge video board it just kind of hit you in the face. So I was, I was kind of surprised to see that not knowing that was going to to be there, but yeah, cool. um You know, cool deal there. And, and another way in which, you know, it, it's uh, another way in which the baseball program can be a good neighbor to the rest of the university. And, and I know coaches you know, coaches will talk about wanting to to be that, and 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 they mean it. I'm not suggesting that they, that they don't, but you know, a lot of times there's just not always a lot of ways to really do that. And and this is an opportunity for, in Duke's case, to for the baseball program to be to be a good neighbor and to to be a good part of the campus community and really contribute something beyond uh, the athletic side of things. So that's really cool.
0: I mean, I feel like if uh, you did this in Starkville, like you would probably increase the class attendance, right? If if you could say we were holding class today in duty noble, like I, I feel like more people would show up to class. Oh yeah, uh, no doubt. If if you're a professor having attendance problems, you know.
1: Yeah, no doubt. No doubt about that. You could, you know, certainly pull that off there. You could probably pull that off in Oxford, there, you know, Fayetteville, probably the same way. So there's, there's some places where you could certainly do well as a professor to uh, spike attendance a little bit and, and do do your classes uh, do your classes out there.
0: And you know, I mean, it, it would take some communication between professors, but like, there's no reason why you couldn't put multiple classes in some of these stadiums. Like, Judy Noble hold, holds a, a ton of people. Bob Walker holds a ton of people um you know all, a lot of these sec stadiums do like you, you could you could easily pet like maybe you can't all obviously you can't all use the video board then uh but you know i don't know outside the box thinking i'm yeah i'm for all sure. for that right now
1: i mean we're yeah i was about to say we're in this period of time when everyone's doing outside the box thinking about everything and I mean, I think too. I mean, turf is so good these days. I mean, as long as you know, you'd have to have some level of trust what's going on there. But if if kids are if the the turf is nice and dry, and folks are willing to sit out on the turf, you you know, it's a bring your own blanket situation. You sit out on the turf and uh, spread out in the outfield, like that could work as well. It doesn't have to be limited to the to the stands themselves. So yeah, yeah. I mean, I was
0: thinking the stands because like you know, you get you get some shade there, so now you don't have to worry about sun. But if you're willing to if you're willing to go out in the sun you know then yeah i mean even even more spaces you know open open the lounge open open the yeah, outfield there you, you go
1: know? yeah that's exactly right yeah really it's a uh, lots of opportunity there for sure
0: all right so before we get to our interview uh we uh, have another word from our sponsors it's summertime and at my bookie that can only mean one thing it's winning season winning season means doubling your first deposit winning season means free bets Super Contests, Survivor, and more. At MyBookie, winning season is all about your chance to win big. Bet NBA playoffs, NHL playoffs, Major League Baseball, UFC, and then some. The craziest sports summer of your lifetime is here. It's simple, make your picks, win big, collect your cash, invest in your intuition, select from hundreds of future bets, or you can bet games in real time with MyBookie's live betting. Put that big brain of yours to good use. Use promo code BASEBALLAMERICA, that's all one word, and double your first deposit. Again, promo code BASEBALLAMERICA. New players get up to $1,000 in free play designed to add more excitement to the sports you love and the games you bet. Thousands of cross-sport wagers, props, and parlays await. Sign up now to bet with the best and celebrate your victory. Your winning season begins today only at my All right, Jim. So let's get to uh, your interview with Florida Atlantic coach, John McCormick. The Owls um, ha- were in the midst of uh, another solid season. They were 10 and six when the uh, spring season got shut down. They knocked off Miami in a midweek, uh, you know, just kind of rolling along again, looking like one of the top teams in conference USA. And uh, so we're, uh, we're excited to check in with John McCormick about that. And also he is a, uh, the division one president in the American baseball coaches association. So he has, uh, you know, he, he has a lot of insight into, um, you know, what's going on around the country and, you know, how ABCA is, is progressing or, you know, looking to to provide guidance or, you know, looking at at legislation and and the like. So he's always a very uh, interesting person to, to, to speak to, uh, on a variety of topics. And so, uh, Let's get
1: to uh, to that interview you did with John McCormick. Today on the Baseball America College podcast, I am very excited to be joined by Florida Atlantic coach John McCormick. Uh, lots to get into with Coach Mack. Uh, certainly we'll discuss expectations for what will be a unique fall, both from a national perspective and specific to his FAU program. We'll look ahead to the team he'll have in 2021, and perhaps most importantly, a topic near and dear to both of our hearts, Disney World. So looking forward to... Uh, talking a little Disney with, with coach Mack, but uh, coach, how are you? How has extended off
2: season treated you so far? I'm um, doing well, Joe. I appreciate it. Um, it's treated me fine. Not much different, um, other than not being able to recruit and, um, but did a lot of the same things, but good to be back on campus.
1: Yeah, no doubt about that. I, I, uh, You know, it it dawned on me as I was getting ready for this podcast that maybe you should actually be hosting this thing. You are a (laughs) podcast mogul in your own right. You've got the Max Musing series at FAUsports.com. Just quickly before we actually get going here, like, how did that project come to be and and how much fun did you have doing that?
2: Well, uh, me and John, uh, our SID, um, we, we kind of talked about a way to get information out in a about the about the team and about the program other than just in a more long long form than short form form and i think that people are want to know kind of a little bit of behind the scenes um of how things kind of run a little bit and that's that's and i don't mind talking as everybody knows um and i enjoy it and I, i i have nothing to you know, I like everybody to know everything. So it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And I think that especially up until probably June when we took a break and we'll start up again, I thought it was great that we went back and talked about the old games. And the thing that I find neat is the old players call me and like, God, Coach, I haven't thought about that game in 10 years, 11 years, you know, and you brought back memories. So that's the fun part. That, that, that's, that's the fun part. Yeah, no, no doubt about that. I I know I've
1: enjoyed listening to him as a cool little side project that that I thought you guys were running there. Uh, I, I really enjoyed that a lot. So let's uh, I guess let's Thank get you. to business here. You uh, you mentioned you know being back on campus, and I think I saw on social media earlier this week actual players on the field, which is a great sign and a great thing to see, given all that we've we've had to to work towards to, to get to that point. So how has it been so far to be back on campus? What is it? been like? Uh, what kind, What phase, if for lack of a better way of putting it, kind of what phase are you guys in in terms of uh, doing baseball activity, for lack we, of a better way to put it?
2: Well, we're, we're kind of where we normally are. Uh, we're doing small group, um, you know, four to five people in a group. Um, some things, uh, of course, have changed. The weight room looks different because we can only do 10 guys at a time. And credit to the players, because they've had... And we've tried to set it up where they can kind of seamlessly go from one thing to the other, but we just can't. So credit to them where they've been, we can't let them go back to the locker room and hang out. So they've either, you know, gone out front of the building and sat on benches and waited their turn or they've gone to their car. Um, So credit to them, but a lot of it has been the same um, uh, that we've done in every September, you know, it's just, we are going at a, I hate to say this, we're going at a little faster pace because we want to get to fall practice, team practice, before anything drastic might happen. Um, I always have it concerning in the back of my head that, you know, we're going to have a second round of this as it, and maybe they send the students home and maybe we don't get to practice. Um, And it's really important that, and I say that with the utmost respect of what's going on around the country. It's really important for for the short term in baseball that we get on the field and kind of play as a team and see what we got. Um, and I and I say that with the utmost respect because I know people around the country have had their seasons canceled. I've been through it. There's people that have are are tremendously sick. There's a lot of things going on. And I know when we do these podcasts, sometimes I feel a little guilty because. We are talking about a luxury, um, but it is what we do, you know?
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think even folks in in my profession have had to grapple with that a little bit just from the standpoint of, you know, we've been really tied into, whether at the the college level, the the minor league level, the the, the major league level, folks who cover baseball have been really keyed into when is baseball coming back and and how is baseball coming back. And, you know, there's always balancing that with the idea that obviously – you know, uh, given what we've been through this spring and summer, it's not been the most important thing. And so you, you yes. kind of have to compartmentalize, which is something that uh, for folks like you and I who love the game, it's just not always the easiest thing to do because we, we get so focused on getting the game back and being able to do the kinds of things that we, we love all over again.
2: Yeah. It's, it, it's, it's been a balancing act for, uh, I know for me and for everybody um, to kind of understand where we are in the world and, it in the right context and 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 along with that you know I spend a lot of time talking to the players about that type of stuff on a normal year so it's been heightened but a lot of it has been through zoom and email and some some um, you know powerpoints to help the guys understand what's going on um, in the world and give them some opportunities to get some safe opportunities to get involved.
1: You alluded to it a little bit there, but, but of course not everyone is in the position where they've got their players back and can really get going and, and yeah. try to get some of that work in. So, you know, you have a little bit of a different perspective from just your average coach, given your role as Division One chair for, for ABCA. And I don't know how to exactly phrase this question, but I think you'll know what I'm going for and you can help walk me through it here. But does the organization, ABCA, have a particular stance or recommendation on how the fall should be approached? Is there some sort of guidance you're giving your membership?
2: Not really. Um, you, you know, early in this thing, we we tried um, we tried to get some legislation in there, and and we were able to with the expanded roster, and we were able to with the less than twenty five percent. We you know little wins here and there. Um, we had uh, floated um, a different way of doing the fall, but I think when we had put that together, we thought that. Um, this pandemic would be kind of wrapping up or slowing down, um, and and basically it was give us more time with the team, you know, do away with the 132 day um, uh, um, schedule, uh, but that didn't really gain any traction because you know they're so concerned with football and basketball, rightfully so, that. I think that some of our issues are, and we're a spring sport, I think it's just be safe, um, kind of understand where you are in the pecking order, make sure that we keep our athletes safe, don't cause any undue stress on the athletic department, and let's get to the spring. You know, let's get to the spring. That's my – That that's not – that's more me talking opposed to any sort of grand plan from the ABCA. But the ABCA, Craig Kylitz, and and the, the guys out there did a great job of, of helping us craft our message um, to get some of those things that we were able to get to help the student-athletes out with the roster and the uh, less than 25 and, percent and some of those things. So uh, we're certainly fortunate that they helped out.
1: Your coach, from previous conversations I've had with you in the past, I know your coach. It's meticulous in in building schedules to put your team, you know, in a position to do what you need to do to get to the postseason. But I think one thing Teddy and I have been uh, impressing upon our listeners over the last couple of months is that look, you know, college baseball is going to look probably a little bit different in 2021, just in terms of you know the way schedules are built, and some conferences or schools are doing one thing, and others are doing this over here. So. With that being the reality, and, and you can tell me maybe if you, you disagree a little bit there, but how would you like, and this is putting the cart warning, this is putting the cart so far in front of the horse that we you know we can't see the cart anymore, but how would you how would you want the 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 selection committee once we get to the end of 2021 season and and hopefully you know we get through it without any hiccups and we're able to play baseball and all of that, how should they approach kind of balancing that if you've got some teams that play a mostly normal you know, 50-game schedule and you've got other teams that play just conference games and, say, like 30 games. I mean, how how would you even begin to kind of balance that and and build out a field of 64?
2: I think they have to do a ton of research and they have to use the RAC committee, uh, the Regional Advisory Committee, um, to be able to decipher, um, hey, these guys got a bad break, but it's a good team. Um, I know when I was on the RAC and, and the chair... Um, really, really stressed, get involved, look at the teams, make sure the teams are, are set up where we think they have a chance to go and compete at a regional, that they have the pieces. So I think that if you're on the NCAA Division I Baseball Committee in June, you, you've got to lean on the rack and you've got to kind of get get involved more so and kind of dig beyond the numbers because they're going to be, I think, there's going to be some anomalies. There's going to be some teams that end up with a really good RPI that, you know, might be 500-ish. And then you're going to have some teams that had really good year and their RPI is not so good because of where they're located. Because I know you mentioned – I know I'm not going to mention schools because of recruiting for their, for their benefit, but I know there's some schools that have been cut to 30 games. There's some schools that have been cut to regional play only. So they're not going to be able to get to – some of those better RPI games on the road. So it it, it I think there's going to have to be, you know, I think we're going to have to not worry about a conversation in June like, hey, th- this team has 76 RPI. Why'd they get in? Like that has to go out the window. You know, the RPI is what it is. They were a good team. We investigated it. They got the makings of a chance to go to a regional and do some damage. We put them in, you know. Yeah, I mean, maybe it's a
1: little bit too optimistic thinking. But for me, as someone who is, is can sometimes be critical of the of the RPI, I think as as a lot of people are, I wonder if maybe this opens the door for like, look, we wish we were in a position where we didn't have to treat the season this way. We wish that we'd had a normal sure. season and not had this pandemic. But at the same time, maybe this opens some doors where we look at the field of sixty four that we got, and we got some teams that maybe didn't have those traditional metrics, like you mentioned that end up showing us the value of having teams like that in the field. And, and I don't know, like I said, maybe I'm being a Pollyanna, but I just wonder if that opens up some doors to look at the field, field building a little bit differently than we have in the past.
2: I agree with you a hundred percent. I agree with you a hundred percent. And, and um, uh, I, I, again, the strength of schedule and, and we have to balance, we cannot uh kind of i don't want to say punish because that's not the right word we cannot hold it against a a good team that's caught a bad break because of finances um i think we have to look at again it's going to require a little bit work a little bit more work it's going to require the rack committee um guys to really really dig on the teams in their area and get on the phone and um I, I took it as a a huge honor to be on the rack and to be able to to talk to the coaches. Tell me about your team if we didn't play them, talk to opponents. Do you think they could go and win a regional? yeah, they got a they got three starters, they got a closer. They're really good offensively. They play with energy. Okay, thank you. You know what I mean? Um, to be able to follow the injuries uh, when it gets to that point. And i think that this year more than any other year we've really got to dive in on that because you look at you look at schools that are not going to have an opportunity to get south and get some rpi points it's going to turn into be an issue if we stick with the traditional metrics um i I would love for the rpi to be somewhat adjusted um somewhat adjusted Um, i've done a little work on it Uh, i've Talk to the, the baseball committee about it about one thing that I brought up is why don't we do the RPI on 50 games instead of 56 give everybody six games to to kind of play some people that are close that won't hurt you um we might get Old Dominion Norfolk State some more we might get Vanderbilt Tennessee State we might get I mean I know LSU has played Southern we you know, Bethune in Florida, FAMU in Florida State, we might get some of those where we can maybe help some of the, um, some of those teams um, to be, to get a better schedule. Um, It would give maybe some kids an opportunity to get some more at bats. And then it would cut down on some, you see some really wacky travel late in the year, trying to get some RPI points, right? Right. I know years, a couple years ago, we played Sam Houston State. And I think a week later, they jumped on a plane and flew on a Monday to Arizona, played a doubleheader Tuesday, and then came back to get RPI points. Um, I know games have been canceled late in the year for uh, RPI points. Um, I know people are spending money and traveling and guys are missing class time to get RPI points later in the year. Um, and if we, if we give everybody a little bit of a gimme, maybe we cut down on some of that stuff. Maybe we, we get, we get some regional matchups. Maybe we get some, uh, an opportunity to play some better games and get some more guys, some at bats. Not that you're gonna not try to, you're not gonna schedule a game and not try to win, but you might be apt to get a young man, another start and try to build him in college baseball opposed to. You know, if we if we schedule this game and we lose, it could knock us out of the regional. And we've all seen it. I remember Liberty about eight years ago beat, I'm not sure who it was, and they lost 17 points and probably kept them out of a regional. You know, Southern Miss late in the year, a couple years ago, lost, swept somebody, lost 10 points, and probably knocked them out of hosting. So, um, and that's for winning, you know. Um uh, so I, I think there's a better way to do that um, and give some people a chance to uh, play some different matchups and save some money and keep guys in class.
1: Yeah, I think there's a little bit of an, an equity issue there, too. I, I, I'm really, uh, I've always liked kind of this idea that you that you have there uh, in similar ones I've seen because I, I think the other thing that happens is that there ultimately are the same types of teams at the bottom of the RPI every year. It's small conferences in the Northeast. It's the HBCU conferences, the MIAC and the SWAC. It's, you know, uh, the teams that are new to division one that are moving up and ultimately those schools have to make schedules too, but you're, you're telling the schools who are in postseason position every year, don't play them because this is that that's going to hurt your RPI. And I've just, you know, I, I, th- I just think it's tough on those schools because you're right that they have to know if you've got a game, if you've got a Tuesday game in May against a team that's 50 in the RPI, like that game's probably going to, you know, or is in peril. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I just think that, you know, it's got to be tough on those coaches knowing that they've got to build a schedules, knowing that no one really actually wants to play those games.
2: And those are hard conversations to have, even previous um you know you have a friend you have friends in this business and hey we'd love to come down and play you and i'm like i can't you guys are 240 the last three years i i I can't afford it you know um and it's tough and oh come on you know and and it's because you're friends with these guys um but you know the committee doesn't look at it that way you know especially for you know the Sunbelt, American, Conference USA, you know, some of those conferences that traditionally are the, you know, six through 10, every point counts, every point counts, you know, Um, you could see it like in comp, especially late in the year, you see a bad loss. And I see to come across the ticker and I go, well, that might have cost them, you know, Uh, um, you know, they lost on the road to someone that's 172. And you go, oh, that might have cost them you know? Um, so it's, it's, it's never easy and, and there's gotta be, I don't know. We're too smart nowadays. There's gotta be a, I don't want to say a better way, a different way to do it, you know, to be able to, um, to be able to, uh, uh find a better metric to, to help us with it, you know?
1: Right. I'm curious, um, you know, without necessarily, uh, betraying the trust of those you you've scheduled with and worked with, but just kind of generally speaking, how is some of the uncertainty about this kind of stuff bled into your schedule building? I mean,
2: you know, baseball, yeah, I mean,
1: yeah, baseball is not like football and you don't have games in the books for 15 years down the road, but I imagine there, you know, you've, you've been working on some of this stuff for a while and now I imagine there's a lot of wait and see going on or just outright, Hey, I don't think this is going to go. So I'm curious what kind of those conversations have been like so far.
2: We've had, um, two, four, we've had seven, six, nine conference games canceled from Northern teams already. Um, we've had a, uh, our second weekend is is I got a call that I don't know what's going to happen, but if you can find somebody else, do it. Um, uh, and then of course our conference was we were cut from ten weeks to um, eight weeks, um, so we had to pick up. A, we had a pickup games, we had a pickup series, which one of them is one of them we found a weekend. The other one is the last weekend of the year, which. You know, good luck with that. Um, so uh, I we've we I haven't really done much scheduling probably since I would say end of May for twenty one, and what I'm waiting for, and I think that once everybody gets in school and the enrollment figures for every some for some of these schools are put together and they actually see their budget, then there's going to be a lot of phone calls come mid-late September to say, Hey, we were cut another 10%. We can't come. Um, Enrollment was down. Dorm, dorm bodies were down. I I think that, you know, I think we, we got through the initial wave of, Hey, budgets are going to get cut. Then now I think there's going to be another wave when, when we see what enrollment is, which drives budgets. Um, And then we'll go from there. and, 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 and we've done a, a pretty good job in the state of Florida kind of keeping in touch with everybody saying, Hey, you know, we might have to play, you know, I I talked to Miami, we play them three times. We might, we talked about a four or five time deal. If, if we both get canceled and some stuff Um, I've already added another game. We usually play home and away with Florida Gold Coast. We added a third game, Talked to central Florida about the possibility of doing that. Um, We're going to play South Florida this year Um, for the first time in years, just because of the distance, but um, it's a bus trip and it's cheaper and, um, you know, it's probably should be happening anyways, but now we're going to make it happen. So uh, I, I think everybody's kind of holding firm until we see what the actual enrollment numbers are and budget is.
1: Let's, uh, let's dig in a little bit specifically to your team there. And I guess just simply, I'll, I'll turn the floor over to you with what has you most excited about your team heading into 2021?
2: Um, you know, I, I think everybody's in the same boat that the team you had on paper, February, the, the, the team you thought you were going to have uh, for the 2021 season on paper, you know, February 10th is totally different. We ended up In a good way, we ended up with two seniors back, um, uh, three seniors um, back, um, which gives us a lot of experience. Wilfredo Alvarez, it's short, Bobby Morganson and right, and Dylan O'Connell, left-handed pitcher, um, which you didn't think those guys were going to come back. You know, we lost out on a guy, um, Frankie Urbaez, signed as a free agent. Um, Then on the other side, we ended up, with a, with with two guys showing up to school, three guys showing up to school, Nolan Chenuel, Kalo Pendleton, and Javier Rivera, that I think if it was a 10-round draft and the teams weren't so budget conscious, I don't think those guys show up. So we're excited to see what they can do. Um, excited, first of all, to have everybody back. But, you know, trying to meld, uh, a group together under different different circumstances we can't do some of the team building stuff that we've done in the past um uh, but we're trying the best we can um in smaller groups which requires more time um which the NCA never factors in that now coaches are out on the field for seven hours you know um uh uh, which is a small price to pay, but there is, there is a price to being paid for, for the coaches. But I, I would think the, the, uh, to see Bobby and Wilfredo kind of get a redo and, and Dylan in their senior year, and then those couple of guys that I mentioned that might not have been here if this didn't happen, to see how they do in another year of college baseball. So um, uh, we, we are center fielders playing football so we'll see um, how he does when he comes back. And um, I'm happy he's getting a chance to play football, but I, I really wanted him to play fall baseball because he needed as many at-bats as he can. Um, the rest of the guys are third baseman's back. Um, uh, B.J. Murray, Nick Tony, those Nick Tony behind the plate. Those two guys will be – you know top five seven round picks um so it's going to be interesting it's going to be fun but everybody i think in college baseball has gotten a few quote-unquote christmas presents because of of the way major league baseball had run the draft it had it has certainly caused a few roster issues for everybody and i think it's caused you know it's it's forced us to have some conversations that we probably didn't want to have with young men and their families and i think everybody's handled it really well both both the coaches and the families. Um, but then I think it's going to lead to an absolutely competitive college baseball season, um, which is going to be fun to watch and um, fun to be a part of. Yeah, no doubt about that. I, you, you echoed a little bit of, of, of conversations I've
1: had with with coaches in leagues similar to yours, where uh, not the, the top power leagues, but the, the leagues that already compete nationally, but they're thinking about you know, you got to look out for some of these, maybe like a, you know, a second or third team coming out of CUSA or a second or third sure. team out of the Sun Belt or the Missouri Valley, what have you. Those teams are going to be really old and really talented. Yeah. And I mean, th- there's going to be some really dangerous upper-level mid-major programs that I think are, are going to really um, be in positions to make deep runs because I think there's there's a little more turnover at the Power Conference level just because they had more of their guys end up drafted. And so, yeah, we're working on the on the margins a little bit here, but those are kind of the, the, the a scenario where those teams can compete a little bit better nationally when they're when they're old you know experienced and kind of been there before.
2: I agree I agree I you know I and you look at in our league you know Southern Miss um, gets Gabe Shepard back which he's a stud you know Charlotte's added um, you know a couple of grad transfers and a couple of transfers that got waivers, and they've immediately made themselves better. I think the team in our league that you really, really got to keep an eye on is Old Dominion. Um, they got off to a really, really good start. Got everybody back. Um, added a few pretty good pieces. Uh, so uh, um, you know, it's going to be a dogfight, right? I know Rice has gone out into the transfer market and got a really good shortstop from LSU, and um, so I think everybody has benefited from it, um, not only in our league, but, you know, Sunbelt and um, the American and and um, I, I think the 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 teams that do the best are the ones that are able to, you know, it's always been hard to incorporate those guys in for a year. But I, I think that it's going to be easier because everybody kind of knows what's going on. I think the uh, at least I know dealing with our guys is there's a certain level of, we, we have a bigger roster than we've had in 12 years. And I've talked to them. I was like, we have to have patience. Um, and I know it's easier for me to say, but I think that they understand it. You know, I think that there's a, there's a, I think for everybody, there's a sense of, at least early in the fall, the, the coach that I've talked to, there's a sense of that everybody understands what's going on. and And hopefully we don't, you know, we don't, it doesn't turn on teams because having big rosters could be great, but it also could be really bad. You know, it can be really, really bad. It can cause problems in the locker room because again, come February, you know, 15th, whatever the date is, there's still only, you know, nine guys running out there to play, you know? Um, so it could, it could end up causing problems. So I think for the coaches, communication, letting guys know where they stand um is really really important
1: i'm curious about the, the process you and your your coaching staff are, are thinking about when you deal with as you you mentioned just a, a bigger roster in terms of numbers um what is what are, what does the fall practice period look like and then when you get back in the in the spring and, and get going hopefully what are the kinds of things you're talking about what are the kind of things you're you're thinking about as you try to get you know get it down to as you as you put it you only play nine guys at, at one time how are you yeah. working through that
2: well um Again, we had stress to the players, and and we were fortunate being in Florida. Uh, I know everybody around the country kind of looks at us cockeyed. Um, uh, we were fortunate. We had about 26 guys play summer ball in Florida, uh, Central Florida League, the South Florida Collegiate League, um, Gulf Coast League. Uh, so we were very, very fortunate. And we stressed to our guys that, hey, season got over. You know early april let's try to stay in shape we're gonna we're gonna we're doing about three weeks of, of um skill work and then we're going right into inner squads and the inner squads are going to look really different um because we've got to we've got to figure out what we what we have we've got to kind of line up um what we think might be you know the framework of a rotation the framework of a back end um the you know with some of the guys departing who's going to play certain positions so we we have told the players that and be prepared we're going to intersquad a lot you know when it comes to team practice time um, we're going to intersquad a lot uh, we're going to try to get our work in um, early in terms of you know maybe a half hour of defense and and if you if we're going to hit it's going to be before it might be in the cages, but we got to enter squad. We've got to get playing and learn how to play together because we haven't been together for seven months, and we do have new guys. We don't have the luxury. And again, me being a little nervous, I I, I don't want I don't want to miss out on us being together as a team. And something happened in October, and they say, "Hey, everybody's got to go home." You know, um, God forbid that this thing has another life to it, which I pray it doesn't. Um, so our goal is to get on the field. And I thought three weeks was the safest amount of time with them coming off summer ball to be able to get right into team practice. And that's what we're stressing. Like when we get to team practice, it's going to be intersquads, squads and we've got to, if you've got to be able to show us what you can do, um, because, again, we don't know how it's going to look the end of the fall, and we don't know how it's going to look coming back in, in January. We have to kind of make hay when we can. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Um, well, what do you say we, we uh, transition to something super important like Disney World? What do you say? Sure. So? All right. So no I game. So game I, did not, I did not know uh, that, that uh, John McCormick was a Disney World aficionado until I actually listened to the Max Musings episode where okay. you – you uh, you know went on about about Disney World and I um I uh, you know was delighted because I, I too am and um, a big Disney World guy so I'm curious how I think everybody kind of has their own origin story of how it became a thing in their life but how did Disney World become a big part of your life?
2: Well, we moved to Florida from New York right as Disney um, kind of got going and we were up there. My parents took us up there when. I think that disney was open for only six seven months and i was like absolutely amazed by the whole thing you know um a young kid and um you know big daniel boone type fan and um all that stuff just loved it and then disney is about two and a half hours away and my cousins would come down from new york and we would go to disney we would have school trips and it would be at Disney. So we constantly went there and enjoyed it, really enjoyed it. Um, And then when I got to be a father, um, took the kids up there the first time and it changes the whole dynamic of it, you know, um, in terms of watching them enjoy it. And um, so we were fortunate enough and, and it's a, it's a, um, it's a great place to vacation for kids it has a lot of built-in stuff that you can do Um, and for for me it was i I always say it was a little bit of a cop-out because it was only two and a half hours away it was close to where we recruit you know in orlando in tampa so we could always make it work me and my wife and the kids loved it Uh, my parents could come up and and you know then you got to appreciate what an operation it is and how, you know, they never, and this is my opinion, Disney never takes you for granted. You know, I know it, it's a little bit pricey at times, but they never take you for granted. The place is immaculate. They make sure that your experience is great. And, and that from a, from a consumer, from a professional, from a, you know, someone that wants fans to to have a good experience at, at my ballpark or our ballpark, I just always thought that was the greatest thing. You know, um, and every time you went, you can kind of discover something new. Um, and then, then I took it to another level and I started reading about Disney himself and how sharp he was, and you know the the grand vision and and the obstacles he overcame. and And, and I've just always enjoyed it. I've enjoyed you know, from the the absolute base, just fun of it, to appreciating it as a business. And even though it is a business, they do want everybody, and this is my opinion, truly, when you walk through that gate, they want you to have a magical experience. Yeah, no no doubt about that. I I echo all of that. And I I
1: don't know that I told the story on air, but, you know, my entree to Disney World was that I went, you know, I went when I was really little, obviously, I don't remember any of that. But, I went when I was 15 and of course, 15, as you know, coaches, the, the age at which the kids want the least to do with their parents. Sure. Um, and so I kind of, you know, I went on this vacation with my my dad and my stepmom and my, my two step siblings who were significantly younger than me, nine and 11 years younger. And so they were the prime age for this. Uh, I was not, I kind of expected, Oh, it'll, it'll be okay. It'll be fine. Um, uh, but I went and just had a great time and I came away, just blown away by the fact that my, you know, 40 some odd year old, uh, dad and stepmom had a good time. A 15 year old had a good time. And then the six and the four year old had a good time. And I just, there are very few places in the world where I think a family of five with ages from, you know, mid forties to four years old can go and have, and each have their own good time. And not just because the kids are having a good time, you know? Um, so that, that really has just kind of, stuck with me. And so there's a million reasons why I love it, but that, that has always just kind of, kind of stuck out to me as, as unique about, about that place. Um, do you have a, you got, when you stay on property, do you have a favorite resort? I know that's kind of a, can be uh, kind of, everyone has their own little piece of, of Disney that they most appreciate.
2: Well, it, it would either be uh, the kids when they were young, we had a great time at the wilderness lodge. It was um, relatively new, um, I always liked the, again, the Daniel Boone type setting. Um, they have the cafe in there, um, whisper, whisper Creek cafe. And I don't know if you've been there. They have, they do the thing. If you ask for ketchup, then all the servers bring all the bottles of ketchup to your table. Um, and my oldest son was a, you know, he had ketchup on everything. So the first time they did it, Um, we didn't even know. And it was hilarious. And it was kind of one of those things like, Hey, let's go eat there. They're going to do the thing again, you know, Um, Right. there. And then the first time we ever went there, um, uh, we stayed at, um, Oh God. Um, the original, the original one, um, uh, the grand Floridian. No, the one next to it. Contemporary Polynesian Polynesian. There you go. We, when we originally went up there, when we were young, young, we stayed there because it was only, that was the only place. And then, um, and then um, we had went back um, and that one's kind of neat. Cause when you wake up and you go down to breakfast, you can see the park, you know, and it kind of right, um, right. uh, wet your appetite, so to speak. And um, they have a good, they have a good pool for the kids. And um you know, the, the ferry ride across is easy. and, and uh, uh, But we, we've, we've stayed at Port Orleans, We've stayed at the um, um, Animal Kingdom. Um, we've stayed at, you know, I don't want to say every one of them, but, you know, we stayed at the Contemporary. Um, uh, they're all good. You know, I, 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 um, last time we went, we stayed in, and, and I wasn't a huge fan, but it was okay. We stayed in one of the cabins. Um, we stayed in one of the cabins. Right. Yep. In um, Fort Wilderness. In Fort Wilderness, um, and you, you know, I always like staying where there's a the the centerpiece lodge to it. You know, um, the Grand Floridian, where you come downstairs and it has the it has the the lodge area. Um, there you you kind of wake up and you're you you know you got to get walk in and catch the bus and although it was it was different because then you're you're you know we had the kids were way older then um and they were kind of off doing their own thing so it was easier for everybody to kind of come and go um uh, but uh, it's all it's all good you know we we had some great great times and when the kids were when the kids were at that prime age, you know, seven, nine, 11, 13. And then when they got to be 13, 14, you could get in the Magic Kingdom and, and say, hey, we'll meet you at this place at three o'clock. And my two sons are a year and a half apart. So they could go off and do their thing. And, you know, you don't worry about safety. You don't worry about them leaving the park. and So they could have their own little excursion and then, you know, then we can do stuff. So it was, it's all, it's all great fun. And I I don't, you know, I know that, um, uh, I know some people think of it directly opposite, but it's been awesome for me and my family.
1: Yeah, same, same here. I, it's it's just about impossible if if you allow yourself to to get in the, the mental space that you need to be in. It's impossible to uh, to not have a good time once you walk in those gates. That's always been always been my take on it. So happiest uh, place on earth. That's right. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. That's exactly right. Well, coach, I, I appreciate your time today talking about a, a, a whole range of things. Appreciate your perspective, you know, on kind of where we're at in college baseball and approaching this. It's uh, just no other way to put it. A unique a unique fall coming off of the unique spring and summer and, yes. and what, will, what will still be a unique next spring. So appreciate that. Always love talking about your FAU teams and looking forward to seeing uh, how you guys perform in 2021. So I appreciate your time today. Thanks again.
2: Well, thank you. Thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about FAU baseball. And I certainly appreciate what you guys do for college baseball. And, um, you know, it's, it's, we're all in this together. And um, I certainly, like I said, I certainly appreciate what you guys do for us. So thank you. Absolutely coach. Thank you so much. Okay.
0: Thank you again to John McCormick for joining us here on the baseball America college podcast. Uh, Joe, I, I know uh, you always enjoy speaking with, with coach. Uh, what, what kind of stood out to you this time from your conversation?
1: Yeah, he, he um, yeah, first of all, just, just a, a pleasure to talk to He's always really kind with his time and, and thoughtful and, you know as a podcast host himself, he appreciates the medium of the podcast. he gets it like he's really really into it, so that makes it uh, more fun still uh, setting aside the Disney stuff. we also talked some some Disney there at the end. but I think what was interesting to me is to hear him be to kind of speak to something that I think you and I have talked about and that we have kind of intuited, and that's that there is urgency here to get out on the field as quickly as you can, as quickly as the, the administration will allow, your local government will allow, whoever is is basically giving you the okay on yes or no, there is some urgency to get out there and get this done and then get out. And I know that's not really probably a position that coaches want to be in because you want you want the fall practice period to be thoughtful and methodical and to have, you know, to, to be able to do it in the way that you normally do it. And and he did say that, you know, so far, it's been mostly a normal practice period for us. So it hasn't been too disrupted. However, he admits that, you know, we could get, we get bad news any day now that says, uh, we've got to, the, the kids have to get off campus, we're going fully remote, you know, practice is going to have to shut down. And he knows that that could come. That's just the reality. And so there is urgency to kind of get this this done. And he talked a lot about you know, something that I hadn't considered, which is that, you know, they're doing small groups and rotating. And if if you're not involved in something, you can't really congregate in the dugout, you can't congregate in the clubhouse. So, you know, he talked about players just standing outside the building, or players going to their cars and waiting in their cars. And that's just one of the millions of ways in which things are going to be a little bit different, and for the foreseeable future, but they're, you know, just dealing with it uh, as as best they can. I mean, he he. I think that the first thing he said was that he's just really thankful to have players back on campus. And I think any coach who is in the position where they have players on campus right now and actually practicing, I think they would echo that, no matter how they feel about how they arrived there and whether or not they sh- you know ha- how it should be going. I think everyone's thankful to to have that opportunity, and 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 he is among them, even if it has been a little bit of a um, struggle is not the right word, but it's just been a little bit of a challenge. Uh, to get it going and there's always the anxiety of how much longer is this going to last
0: yeah absolutely uh like we talked about unique fall and um everyone's just kind of trying to make the best of it and and figure it out as they go uh the owls uh you know are returning some pieces like like you got to um yeah like like you got to talk about that they weren't expecting to, to have back and um, you know, like I mentioned leading into the interview that this was a team that, that was off to a nice solid start to the season that has been consistently one of the best teams in Conference USA been a consistent regional team over the last several years. And, you know, at least when you start to kind of line up what they could be in 2021. I mean, there's there's reason to be excited about it. I mean, there's reason to be excited for pretty much every team in the country this time of year. But, you know, when you look at having a guy like Bobby Morganson back, who you know has he's done some you know really significant things over his career at FAU already, and and now you get him back unexpectedly for for an extra year. I mean, that's a big time bat to have back in the lineup, and and you can say the same about you know a few other players uh, at, at FAU. So I don't know, it's it's a uh, an intriguing group as you kind of start to look at Conference USA. Um, you know, I I think that they you right now have to be considered one of the, the, the favorites as, as usual, um, you know, in, in, in the conference, you know, I, we talked with Charlotte's Robert Woodard earlier and you know, there, he expressed his excitement about you know, what they have coming in, a lot of newness uh, there. I, I think that, you know, you, you look over at, at Rice and Southern Miss to and, and La Tech, you know, teams that traditionally are, are near the top and, and they're going to have excitement as well. But, you know, it's hard not to look at what FAU has and, and think about what could be the spring.
1: Yeah, certainly no doubt about that. One name that he mentioned that you don't necessarily hear all the time in, in terms of conference USA contenders is old dominion. Um, he really likes what which Mac really likes what which Finwood has there. Uh, so that's, that's another name to consider there, but I, I I'm with you. And this, this FAU team looks really, really good on paper. And You know, I've done the Conference USA preview the last couple of years, and and you kind of come into it with the thought of you look at Southern Miss's roster and you look at FAU's roster the last couple of years, and you're like, okay, one of these two teams is probably going to be the team that that I'm predicting to win this thing. And you look at Southern Miss's roster, and they typically have the higher-end talents. Now, it was was a guy like Matt Walner a couple of years ago. And I think you could still make the argument with a pitcher like Gabe Shepard a frontline arm like that is something that FAU just just doesn't have and, t- and typically don't have. They're they're never the program really known for having a big time Friday guy who's a, a high draft pick and you know really projectable guy. Now
0: their their pitching staff is about depth and yes. the bullpen. Traditionally they kind of build build it from the back
1: a little bit. Yeah no doubt. So Southern Miss still does have that over FAU, but I don't know like not having done a deep dive on, on Southern Miss yet, I, it, it would be hard for for. Southern Miss would have to do a lot to really convince me that, that they would be better than, than FAU coming into the season. And they may be, I'm, I'm allowing for that possibility, but what FAU brings back is, is really impressive. It's a really good offensive group and and FAU always hits. But one of the things that I like about this particular group is that you have a a group of guys who've been really, really productive, whether it's Bobby Morganson or, or Mitchell Hardigan or Wilfredo Alvarez at, at shortstop, um, And then you've got a second set of guys who actually might be better prospects. So, you know, he calls out a couple of guys in in catcher Nicholas Tony and then second baseman BJ Murray who are probably the best position player prospects that they have or among that group anyway. And those two guys have really not been the most productive. Certainly BJ Murray has not been Tony a little bit more so. And so I think that actually bodes well that, Hey, if those are guys that he believes are breakout candidates and that could be, you know, guys drafted in the, 5th to 7th, you know, certainly in the top 10 rounds in next year's draft, he certainly believes that is, that breakout is in there. And if that happens, now all of a sudden you're talking about a really, really good lineup, even without Francisco Urbaez, who signed as a free agent uh, this offseason. The pitching is where there's, like you mentioned, it, it's, a, it's a depth move. And their, their, their pitching staff is typically about depth. And, and depth is going to be the name of the game this year, though, with the guys they've gotten back. I mean, a senior in Dylan O'Connell is back is, you know, probably not a guy they expect, or certainly not a guy they expect to have back as a senior. There are individual arms there that I like, too. Jacob Josie's is a guy I like. Dante Visconti is a really good arm. As a freshman in, in 2020, his numbers weren't quite there, but he's a really good arm. They also have an interesting grad transfer piece in TJ Stewart out of Manhattan, who really kind of is out of FAU central casting. Not a dominant guy, but has put up good numbers. He's been durable in Manhattan. I think he's the type of guy they just slot into a big role right away, you know, you know, kind of regardless of what that role is. But he, you know, he's someone I think fits exactly what they typically do on the mound, so I like that addition as well. So I think they're going to pitch pretty well for what they do because if depth is the name of the game for them, well, depth is going to be better this year than it has been in a long, long time. And while that may be true everywhere, um, I think it's more true at, at FAU given that that's kind of the way they build their pitching staffs. And I don't, I don't know about you, but I think one of the most interesting things because he was very open about the idea that, look, every coach in America can say, Oh, we're really excited to have some guys back. We didn't expect to have back. But one of the things I am absolutely most fascinated to find out in in 2021 is how much does that matter? Because if everyone feels that way, and I get that there's degrees at that, right? There's some programs who have kind of had a normal off season because they had a whole bunch of guys drafted in five rounds or, you know, they, they couldn't bring their seniors back. And so they've had a whole bunch of, of seniors transfer. You know, Wofford is a program like that at the mid-major level. They've, You know, I, I've been updating that impact transfer tracker, and, and Wofford's had, I think, half a dozen guys pop up there that were really productive guys. So some schools have had to deal with it more than others, but generally speaking, everyone's more talented than they were before. And, and I'm just really fascinated to find out how much that ends up mattering. What kind of marginal advantage does that give a team – that's maybe the second team into a regional out of Conference USA or the third, second or third team out of the Missouri Valley or out of the Sun Belt or what have you. Can you see that whenever those teams play out of conference or get into regionals, how much of an advantage does that give them over maybe a Power 5 team that doesn't have quite that much, that much more marginal talent than they had the year before? And maybe we won't be able to see it, but I'm just fascinated to, to see how that plays out.
0: Yeah, I think I'm most interested in that idea not like within a conference because I think most of the schools within a conference are going to be in similar boats. You know, maybe, you know, you you find individual examples where it's not quite like that, you know, like in the pack uh, Arizona state has a much different looking situation than say UCLA or, you know, Washington or Stanford, you know Um, but you know, by and large, most teams in most conferences, I think, are going to be in, in similar situations in terms of how many seniors are back, um, you know, how, how did you make it through the draft, you know, how are you integrating new play? like, what were your chances to integrate new players into the lineup and, and all the rest of that, but come regional time, like, yeah, does it will it matter if you're playing uh, a, a, a bigger conference team that still lost, some of their bigger pieces, uh, but you are a little older, but at that point, you know, a lot of coaches will tell you your freshmen aren't freshmen anymore. They've gone through a full season anyway. So I don't know. That's a, that's an interesting subplot. I think that, you know, in conference USA, especially you often see older teams anyway, you know, Southern Miss, routinely has a bunch of juniors and seniors doing things and not so much on the, uh, the freshmen and sophomores, you know, obviously Matt Walder was freshman of the year, but that's kind of the exception. I feel like they, they're one of the programs that just kind of develops players a little bit. And then they become, you know, big time pieces to the, to their lineup. And, you know, I feel the same way about, about what FAU is doing. And, and Louisiana tech is typically very junior college heavy. So, you know, in this conference, particularly, we're looking at typically older rosters at the top of the league anyway. So I don't know if that is going to matter a whole lot in conference, but then what does that mean uh, when, when you re- reach a regional or if, uh, you know, non-conference games are um, more common than what we're seeing in, in fall sports, if, if by then the, the non-conference schedules are allowed to be more robust. You know, what does that look like? But but in terms of in conference things, I think it's going to be the effect will be a little more muted because I think generally these teams operate in similar ways.
1: Yeah, my 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 fear is not. I was going to say fear. Fear is not quite the right word, but what I, I what I want to see is you know that we can get to the postseason and kind of see the effect of that either anecdotally or or wow, okay, you know we had an abnormally large number of, of, of mid-major and low major teams make it to regional finals, for example. What I'm worried will happen is the postseason just kind of looks mostly normal and we're like, well, I guess we'll never know. Um, so <laughs> that's kind of what, you know, cause you, you just want to be able to, this is any, I guess any good scientist would, would kind of want to see their hypothesis borne out, you know, whether it, uh, whether it is or not. But, um, so you know, I'm just something I'm fascinated to watch. And I guess part of the reason why we may not get to see that play out until we get to the postseason is because of how unique this season will be. And one of the other things that he talked about that, you know, if you've been listening to our podcast, all offseason, Teddy and I have have hammered home over and over again, that the 2021 season is, is going to look a little bit different. And, you know, if you had any doubts before that, I coach Mack really spoke to it, the fact that, He's heard from coaches who are planning on 30-some-odd games. And he had some – you know, his conference is going from 10 conference weeks to eight. And that opened up some holes. And, you know, he's looking to schedule more locally. He talked about adding games with Miami or Florida Gulf Coast or playing South Florida for the first time in a long time. And, um, you know, (laughs) hearing things from coaches like – I can't tell you what's going to happen, but if you can find somebody else, do that, which, okay, I guess that means he needs to find somebody else basically Um, that, you know, that's been a challenge for, for all coaches. And I think there's still a lot of wait and see going on in, in a lot of places, maybe not so much with the 2021 schedule, but he talked about, you know, challenges with the 2022 schedule as well. So that's kind of an an ongoing thing and and a moving target. And that dovetailed into a conversation we had about how the postseason gets, determined and you know he's big on it's it's going to be a year when you have to lean on the regional advisory committees and I think that's right because you know if, if, if teams if you've got some teams playing a relatively normal schedule of 40 some odd 50 games and they played an entire conference schedule plus a couple of weekends and then you've got other schools that are just doing conference play and they end up playing about 30 games you know how do you how do you kind of measure those apples and oranges? In a lot of cases, it won't matter because it's if you're from a one-bid league, okay, you, you're the conference champ, you get the automatic bid, and that's all she wrote, whereas major conference teams, it's a whole different story. But there are going to be times where you have to do those apples-oranges to oranges comparison when it's time to build the bracket, and this is going to be a little bit different this time of year where you're not going to be able to – the RPI is not going to be as helpful, and the, let's put it that way. The RPI and the traditional metrics are just not going to be helpful as helpful this year, maybe not helpful at all. We'll have to see how the, I mean, if they don't up. play
0: non-conference, they won't right. be helpful.
1: Exactly. Yes. So, you know, and then if some, teams and I don't know how many
0: non-conference or, games you have to play before they are helpful.
1: Correct. So like that, that's actually what I was about to say is just like, how muddy are you willing to let the waters be? If let's say the major conferences for the most part, play non-conference games and even the, even the conference USAs and the Sun Belts and the Americans and what have you played, at least one, not, or maybe two non-conference weekends. How many are you willing to let the waters be to actually use that metric at all? Or do you just not even bother with it? And those are questions to be answered, but, you know, he, you know, talked about how this is just going to be a little bit different this time around. And he and I kind of, maybe, maybe it's a little hopefulness, but he and I talked about the idea that maybe just the fact that if they're able to build a field of 64, that looks right. And, uh, you know, brings out a result that um, kind of a desired result, however you define that, that maybe it allows for a little more change moving forward to say, see, look, we we don't need to, to just use kind of these same metrics over and over again. The RPI does not have to drive everything here. If they're able to build out that field without using that as a crutch, then perhaps it can be something that's not used as much moving forward and maybe a little bit of wishful thinking. But I think there's also, probably just a little bit of um, – I think there's probably a little something to that that you, it, it seems like something that maybe would be insurmountable to do without until you have to do without it, and then you realize maybe you didn't need it as much as you, as you thought you did. So we'll have to see. Um, but there's certainly an interesting conversation, the kinds of things that someone in John McCormick's position, not just as a long-tenured coach, but also as, his position is at the top of the Division I Council at ABCA, um, the types of things that he's thinking about all the time.
0: Yeah, I'm uh, trying to pull up my survey results. Um, Yeah, here they are now. And when I asked coaches this spring, like what they wanted, like what their biggest complaint about the NCAA tournament was, um, the fourth most common, yeah, the fourth most common answer was some variation of fixing RPI. And so if you could go through um you know the it, 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 to your point if, if, if you could find a way to do a field less dependent on rpi or find a way to tweak rpi going forward um that would be a popular item among many coaches um you know i think if i asked coaches straight up and down do you think rpi needs to be tweaked i i think that we would find a lot of people if not the majority would say yes so you know that is a thing that already is on people's minds and then you add in the complications of this year and i, I think you're going to see uh you know more problems with it uh you know also a very common answer the second most common answer was better mid-major representation which i know is something that john McCormick, as a conference USA coach probably is uh you know hopeful for um in a you know in any tweaks that that would be made that 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 would enable uh some some more mid-major teams uh to make it in you know we'll see if uh if that how that bears out i don't know whether further emphasis of regional advisory committees would be good or bad for mid-majors that's something that we kind of have to play out um I don't know that if if that is the way it it ends up being, and it, it certainly will be that regional advisory committees have a bigger role this year. Uh, I will be very interested to see what that means. Does that mean more geogra- more even geographic distribution? Um, because there just hasn't been the inner region competition that you need to determine that you know one group is better than the other group. Or do people just kind of fall back on the idea that you know okay the SEC and the ACC typically get somewhere between eight and ten teams in the tournament so let's put in the top eight to ten teams in the ACC and the pack you know make sure they have five or six and and the Big Twelve has five or six or whatever and and go from there and you know I I don't know which way it'll end up I could see it going either way and uh, I mean that's these are problems that are you know, much further down the road than the immediate, but they are things that the people, you know, need to be thinking about already because th- this is something that you need to have in some way kind of figured out going into the season. So everyone knows that they're on the same, you know, knows, knows the rules that they're playing with uh, because otherwise th- this committee could, you know, really, really feel a lot of heat uh, when the field is is coming out. If, if people aren't comfortable with the way that they're going about selecting it.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, you and I could do a whole, it's probably not the worst topic in the world, but you and I could do a whole RPI-centric show just about the, the pros and the cons and the, the arguments on either side of it. But one thing I will say that I've, and I, this is not something John McCormick said in the interview, I'm not putting words in his mouth. That is something I've, he he is, however, an advocate for tweaking the RPI. He does say that in the in the interview. But one thing I've heard I hear all the time with coaches is kind of this, there are some coaches who feel like they want to know exactly what the metrics are, the committee wants them to hit on. And and I get that because they get frustrated that one year you get told it's really important you finish over 500 in conference. And then the next year you've got 13 and 17 teams in conference that are in. And then there's all these different metrics that kind of come and seem to come and go in importance in a given year. And then the RPI is kind of one of those, so I, but I get the, so I understand that frustration, but then there's another part of it. And the RPI is, is part of this where I think there's also an argument you made that I've, that I've also heard is that, well, part of the problem here is that we've, we've kind of figured out the RPI, right? Like for a while, there was a little bit of mystery about it. Like you, you knew the formula in a literal sense, but unless you were really spending a lot of time trying to break down what it meant for you and your schedule, there was a little bit of mystery in there to a certain degree. There was also a period of time when it it seems like it was less of a metric used. I think it's inarguable that it seems like it's been the the primary metric over the last at least decade or so. But there, I think there is an interesting argument to be made that just, that is not too different by the way from a lot of the the arguments about things like, you know, shifting in Major League Baseball where it's like, do we now know too much? And is it hurting the product? And you know, that, that is an interesting argument that I find at least somewhat convincing and compelling, just the idea that, and, I, and I'm the guy who's interested in talking to coaches about how do you approach the RPI? What do you know about RPI? And how does that influence how you schedule? I find that question infinitely interesting. Teddy knows that well. But that being said, I am here, I, I, I do hear the argument that we've got it too figured out now. And so what we're doing is we're all trying to schedule the same exact kinds of games. And yes, geography limits that a little bit but they're right in that we are trying to all schedule the same types of games. And Oh, by the way, what that also means is that you're not trying to schedule games with these other certain teams. And that's kind of a problem too. So um, just an interesting, like I said, an interesting conversation that we could go on for, for hours and hours on, but I think that's I mean, this is
0: of- a thought I just had in the, in the moment and we may need to explore this. You and I, Joe uh, is, What is the right number for a college baseball season? Uh, You know, they're at 56 kind of by accident. It just kind of got there. Uh, There are a lot of people that would like to see it be more. Um, You know, can you jam more in? Can you not jam more in? I don't know. But, like, is 56 a good number? And then if we decide that 56 is a good number, like, what is a good number of conference games – because you know right now your average like power school is doing some combination of like 10, 10 weekends of conference play midweek play of you know whatever's around you basically um, you know trying basically to play the best ones but also you know trying to you know keep your relationships with schools that are around you and then so that leaves you with four weeks to, to you know play with in, in non-conference and you're either playing a premium opponent in it or you're going to a tournament and then three weeks of you know just not necessarily filler or preseason but like warm-up kind of games because it's all about you know getting ready for conference play like is that actually a good model like is it I you know we love Florida playing. Miami and Clemson and playing South Carolina and, and, you know, we love the, you know, the, the, the Shriners tournament and, and then the Dodger stadium tournament. Uh, but you know, is is that enough or like, would it be better for the sport if they also were playing another high end team or would that be bad because now you're taking opportunities away from an FAU? um not that FAU is getting scheduled on the weekend by Florida or Miami anyway because they're too good basically like I don't know it, there, there's a there's a lot that goes into this uh you hear this talked about a lot in basketball a lot in in football and maybe it's time that we we talk about it in baseball as well because you know FAU uh you know it probably isn't the most popular weekend opponent for these power conference teams i mean they're trying to build their own thing they don't want to just submit to whatever you know everyone wants and it it it, it impacts their rpi ultimately and and so that impacts their postseason and and everything else so i maybe this is the year where if everything's going to be weird anyway we need to you know kind of look at what can be done going forward
1: yeah really yeah really interesting i those types of conversations i i find endlessly fascinating and The the, the examples of like FAU and Miami is an interesting one too, because I just wonder what a world without midweek games would look like. You know, I love a good weird midweek game. As someone who went to school at a, a low majors program, it was those midweek games were actually the better games because that's when you'd get the big name opponents. And so that was more interesting. So I have an appreciation for midweek games. However, in a world without them, you have to wonder like now maybe is Miami more interested in playing FI or FAU or FIU, I guess what I matter, but FAU because, you know, part of the problem now is that, well, we kind of need to keep that inventory in the midweek because we just need to play those games in the midweek and you guys are just up the road and we can play that pretty easily. Whereas if that gets taken away now, is it, well, okay, we can play three games with you because your, your RPI is pretty good. And yes, you might beat us, but I guess that's a risk we're taking. So there's a, a, a a measurement there but right now you know if you were to schedule them on the weekends too it's a question of okay so are we going to play you five or six times a year and you know what in 2021 they may have to but um moving forward that would be a different a different discussion so if you take midweek out of it i wonder how it, it changes some of that calculus but but yeah you're right i mean this is an interesting topic that we could we could really uh you know we could really discuss uh well into the future
0: yeah, absolutely. And before we dive too deep into it, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on from there. I I think it is something uh, that everyone should be considering, minimally for this year, but but looking ahead, like what what is the the best formula for for these games, and 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 how does it impact then the the postseason? Uh, because there's you know to to Max point, you know if you're looking at thirty games for 35 games whatever for some teams and some other teams are still playing 56 you know what does all of that mean how is that going to affect things so uh again these are not the immediate concerns but they are they are things that that are probably going to come up this spring and, and, and have to be evaluated uh so interesting conversation with coach mac as always we uh we appreciate him joining uh the baseball america college podcast and uh, if you want to listen to more of him uh, you can listen to him at Max Musings. Uh, I don't know when season four is going to start, uh, but you've got, uh, you've got three seasons of, of Max Musings uh, over at fausports.com podcasts uh, if you are so inclined. All right, so Joe, I think that'll uh, wrap us up uh, for this week. There's plenty of content to keep everyone busy over at baseballamerica.com. Still more recruiting. Uh, stuff coming from me, more conference stock watches coming from Joe. Uh, We released the top 10 recruiting classes of the last century, of of this century, Uh, conveniently the same amount of time we at Baseball America have been doing recruiting rankings. Um, So that was interesting to pull together. I'm sure you guys uh, would be interested in checking it out as well. So you can find that over at the website, baseballamerica.com. I am on Twitter at Ted Cahill. Joe is at Joe Healy BA and make sure you are subscribed to the baseball America podcast on your favorite podcasting app, be that Apple podcast, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you're finding your podcasts, you can find us. We greatly appreciate it. If you rate, review, subscribe, all of that uh, greatly helps us and other people to find the podcast, but mostly we we appreciate uh, you guys listening here uh, each and every week throughout. a unprecedentedly long off season. Uh, You guys have been great about that. And we're continuing to, uh, to enjoy doing the podcasts ourselves. So hopefully you guys uh, keep listening uh, through fall ball as things get cranked up around the country. Thank you again to FAU coach, John McCormick for joining us. Uh, We want to thank you, um, you know, for, for listening each and every week to the baseball America college podcast presented by Rapsodo. And remember, you can check out their uh, national database at rapsodo.com nationaldatabase national uh, database. For Joe, I'm Teddy. We'll see you next time on the Baseball America College podcast.